The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Let us bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us pray. As we gather this morning, God above, gather because you've called us to this public day of worship on this, your day, the Lord's day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We're thankful, God, that you have saved us through Christ Jesus, that he lived and he died for us in our stead, for we deserve punishment, Lord. We deserve hell. We thank you for the goodness and love that you should have brought upon our hearts, for the families and the church you have given us, Lord, for the food and shelter and the many other blessings, God, that we should not take for granted. Lord, we who are your people, according, called according to your grace, we are sinners yet saved by grace. And so we still acknowledge the sins that we struggle with, Lord, for not praising you when we should, planning when we should not, for the various lust and anger and whatever other issues, Lord, we struggle with, both in thought and word and in deed. We confess these sins before you, God. Pray, God, that throughout the week we confess such sins and not give up, Lord, but ever always fight against them by your strength and power, we pray. We pray. We thank you for the gospel. Promise, Lord, that you are faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteous. We repent anew, and your mercies are anew every morning. Precious Spirit of Truth and Life, we pray for continued work in the churches of America, for her collective sanctification, God, that she would have a pure gospel, pure instruction and teaching of the Word of God, Lord, and not mix it with inventions of men and with their own opinions, God. Pray, Lord, for a true and pure practice amongst the churches of America, that they would, Lord, both the leadership and the people in the pew accept nothing less than the call of your law and of holiness, being separated from the sins of this world, God, not because we think we are better, Lord, but because you have separated us by your spirit and baptism. And so, God above, we pray and ask that we would persevere collectively as the churches of America, uh, whatever churches they may be. We think of churches of Colorado and Denver, Lord, uh, that you would be with them and purify them, Lord, that the members therein would expect more out of their pastors if they have such low standards. We pray, Lord, that they would also grow in maturity in accordance to your word together as the people of God, and you would give them shepherds according to your heart and not according to the heart of flesh and sin and lusting and coveting. Protect them, we pray. And uh, Lord, we ask for growth of your church, both locally and nationally. Lord God above, we pray for our health, physical health, Lord, not just the spiritual health of your church, but our own physical health here at Providence, God, for those who are struggling with various ailments, God, and sicknesses. Think of, Lord, that you would be with them, that you would help them, Lord, have access to good medical care, that they would persevere in the regimens they find themselves in, Lord, that they would not give up and be discouraged. We ask, God, that we would be there for them and encourage them and as they deal with their various ailments in their body, that all of us, Lord, indeed, would take seriously our call to take care of our body, for it is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we ought to take care of it, Lord, as you instruct us in your word and as we know in our hearts, uh, Lord, for we are bought with a price. We are not our own. We ask God that we would continue to do the health, healthy things that we need to do, Lord, for both in diet and uh, exercise, whatever else, Lord, in life that we can do. We also pray, Lord, not only for our physical health, but our, our personal spiritual health, Lord, our sanctification, our setting aside of our lives, our words, and our deeds, and our thoughts, God, in accordance to your word, the Ten Commandments, that we would, Lord, love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would use the means you've given us, Lord, to further flame that love for you and for each other and the household of faith. That we would continue to use the means of grace you've given us, Lord, through public worship, 
sacraments of God as we will have the Lord's Supper next week. And of course, the preaching of the word, which we have and is offered to us as a feeding upon Christ through faith alone. Help us, we pray God, throughout the week to pray that family devotions, uh, Lord, a little here, a little there, uh, to do our duties before you, God, to know that personal growth as a Christian, maturity as a Christian is not uh, just church attendance, Lord, although that is certainly important, but also doing our callings and vocations in life as a mother, as a father, as a son, as a daughter, as a citizen of this nation, as a member of the Church of God, Lord, as we feed our families, as we protect our families, as we take care of our children, God, we are doing work of God. Help us, we pray to that end, to persevere in a society that is increasingly indifferent and even hostile, Lord, uh, to these important callings in life, Lord, our responsibilities before you. Help us, we pray this morning, to focus upon you, to hear your word with gladness in our hearts. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Ten Commandments. Let us read it together. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Hear also the words of our Lord Jesus, how he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let us turn to First Peter chapter 2. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Let us pray. As we dig into these beautiful words, encouraging words, God, may we indeed be encouraged and motivate the Lord to carry on our calling as Christians, our calling of sanctification, of being set apart, of being holy, of putting off wickedness and sin and putting on righteousness and obedience. 
And we can do that, God, by your strength and your spirit within us. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Sanctification is the call of every Christian. It is the call of a holy life, a life of obedience to God. It may seem daunting to be sure, especially in this day and age in which you are mocked for doing this. And many Christians, of course, are confused in this regard when it comes to sanctification. They think perhaps there's a special trick to being holy. There's lots of books out there in Christian circles sold as little tricks. They don't say tricks, they'll just say 40 days to a spiritual life or something like that. And sometimes they're useful. When they're useful, it's useful because they're actually following the oldest trick in the book when it comes to growth in Christian life, which is not a trick at all. It's called hard work. That's what sanctification is. It's the putting off, putting on. Putting off of sin and putting on of righteousness. That's what we see in this text here. It is the call that all of us have as Christians, and it can be done by God's grace. Let us see how. The first major point here, and it's asymmetrical, right? It's only partly here, therefore laying aside all malice. Where is the putting on, Pastor? Well, it's elsewhere in the Bible. We know the Bible is a a whole. It teaches a single uh, doctrine of sin, of God, salvation. And Peter deals with certain matters, and so he's going to focus on certain matters. Paul deals with other matters. It's just like any other human book that way, but of course it's a human book and it's written by the Spirit, so it's divine that way. The truth in it is true and always true. So the first thing we have is putting off or laying aside the same word elsewhere in the New Testament. It is a command. It is not a request. It is not a suggestion to the Christian life that we put off sin. Don't be tempted into thinking it's optional because, again, we're finding more and more in our day and age that the temptations are out there upon you, even in the church, again. They won't typically outright say, well, it's optional to be holy. They'll say something like, well, you can have Jesus as your Lord, but not your Savior, or your Savior, but not your Lord, or something like that. They'll cut and slice salvation. But it's all of a piece. Christ is our Lord, and he is our Savior. And they both make a difference in our life. That is that aspect of Jesus Christ. You cannot stop sanctification, or rather you should not stop your sanctification, your call of holiness, your rejection of sin, your fleeing from sin. Because the Christian life is like swimming against the current. Not waiting in a pool where you can just kind of be neutral and float there in the water, but you're swimming against the current. You're swimming against the current of your own inclinations towards sin, your own attractions to sin. Sometimes you don't even are aware of them until it happens upon you. There are surprises in your Christian life. You're swimming against the currents of society, obviously, where everyone and their mom, literally, their mom as well and their grandma, are in favor of wickedness and think you're weird because you don't want to be wicked, that you mourn the wickedness of this world, especially your own wickedness. And because of that, you cannot stop fighting against sin because once you stop swimming against the current, what happens? Go with the current. You get dragged under. If there's an undertow, and there is in America, there is in this world, you will be dragged down. Praise be to God, you do not give up. You may get tired. You may fall back some. The undertow will not drag you down if you are his. Ephesians 4.25 is another passage in which There we see in that chapter the putting off and putting on 
the other half that we'll have in the second point. The putting off is here, Ephesians 4.22, that you put off or lay aside concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. It's a mouthful. But he's saying, stop sinning. Flee sinning. Flee temptation to sin. Flee wickedness and everything else involved in that. And he describes it as your former conduct. And I'll unpack that in a little bit. This is what you used to be. Don't go back to the old ways. Don't become a dog. Turns to its vomit, as he says elsewhere in Peter. Remember that? The old ways of living. Corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Therefore, putting away lying, he continues on a few verses later. Let each of you speak the truth one to his neighbor. Putting away lying. There it is again. To put off, to put away, to lay aside, as if removing a garment. That's the imagery in that word. Here in 1 Peter 2, and here in Ephesians chapter 4. Your sins, in other words, are like worthless clothing, moth-ridden and filthy. You don't want to keep wearing that, do you? We've all been there. As soon as you fall in the mud, you crawl under the building to fix something, you take off all your clothes. You don't want it on you anymore. That's the imagery here. Put it away. Take it off. Throw it away. There's other imageries when it comes to the Christian life of fleeing sin and temptation, of fleeing wickedness, violations of God's law. It's described as a meal. We see that, of course, here in 1 Peter 2. We read, therefore, laying aside all malice and these various and sundry sins, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. Desiring the milk, pure milk of the word is the opposite. It's a way of fleeing and putting aside sins in this life. Sanctification is described as a plant. James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, lay aside, lay aside, there's that word again, all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. Like a race, Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, there it is again, or put off, Every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, get that monkey off your back. Keep it off. Now that's a pleasant image. It's an encouraging image. Because it encourages you that it's not impossible as a Christian to grow in sanctification, to grow in obedience. But it's also, if we only take it as the only description of this call of putting off, the only verb, misleading. Because as I described last week, the clothing you're trying to take off is like second skin, isn't it? You've got to tear it off. You've got to peel it off. That sin in your life, those habits and ways of doing things. And that's why elsewhere, call of putting off is described as a battle. Romans 13, 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, Let us cast off, put off, throw away works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. That's clearly an image of battle. Put on the right kind of armor, because you're going into battle. Ephesians 6, the armor of God. And then lastly, the Christian life is described as a slaughter, a killing. Colossians 3, 5. Colossians parallels Ephesians. I read Ephesians. He says, therefore, put off. The old man put off the old lusts and desires. 
Colossians has a lot of the similar language. And so in Colossians 3.5 we read, Therefore, put to death. So we get the word mortify, mortician, mortification, death. Put to death your members which are on the earth. And he describes what he means by that. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, etc., etc. Another list of sins. So putting off, yes, is the imagery here and elsewhere in the Bible. And I want to remind us again that mortification is also there in the Bible, the language of death and of killing sin, because we hate sin. Here, the encouragement is, it's possible. You can take it off, like you would take off a bad, moth-written, dirty, filthy garment. The laying aside, then, is a possibility, according to this text and elsewhere. We know the other passage I'm going to go to, I think most of us, the most popular passage, but you can use this one, therefore laying aside. He's not saying, you know, therefore, since I know you're a sinner and you struggle with sin, just throw up your arms and give up. No, he says, lay aside and desire the pure milk of the word of God, because he's saying it is possible to the Christian. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 is the other passage. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We need that message today, even in the church. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And you stop right there and you're like, woe is me. Woe is me. And sometimes people need to do that. We need some more woes. Self-reflection and repentance. But he doesn't end there. He tells his audience, as I tell you, and such were some of you. Here, English is important. Did he say, and such are some of you? Say, and such were some of you. We all know English. Were is not is. Past tense. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It is possible. Be a has-been. The best kind of has-been. I has-been. I was. Various and sundry sins that I so imbibed upon and cared nothing about God and Christ. But praise be to God. They were admonished by the law. They felt the guilt of their sins and they were saved by grace and grace alone. They repented from their sin, and they fought against their sin, and they turned to Jesus Christ and trusted in him to bring them to heaven. They weren't trusting in their repentance. They weren't trusting in their good works, although they knew they had to repent, and they knew they had to strive for good works, the next point, putting on righteousness. But their faith was always and has been and will be, as ours is, in Jesus Christ to deliver us at the end of the day. Grace justified them giving them their warrant for heaven, and grace sanctifies them, making them fit for heaven. That's the difference. By purging our sins day by day. Again, we read in Ephesians 2.1, And you he made alive who were dead and trespasses and sins. That's what it means not to be a believer, not to be a Christian. We see it all around us, on TV, in the advertisements, down the road, in our neighborhood. People who do not confess Christ and who show every day that they are dead in trespasses and sins. In what you once walked, here he's writing to Christians at the church of Ephesus. Again, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, you were not your own, you were slave to sin. Among whom you also once conducted, again, this is what you used to be, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Telling them, this is what you used to be. And so, in reflecting upon that, he's not saying, now feel miserable for the rest of your Christian existence. But rather, rejoice, because God, who is rich in mercy, saved you, he says in the next verse. But God delivered you and gave you a heart responsive to his call in the word of God. They did change. It wasn't perfect. We know because Paul admonishes them to repent. In this letter and other letters, he says, you know, flee sin. Peter says that as we're going through Peter here. Put these things aside, which means they're still struggling with them, but they are no longer consumed by them the way they were before when they cared not for God and his ways. Now, of course, he gives a particular list here. We are supposed to repent particularly of particular sins, right? That's what we're called to do, not just kind of a vague, yeah, I repent, leave me alone. Malice and evil speaking, I put these two together, right? Therefore, laying aside all malice, and at the end he says, and all evil speaking, malice is evil or bad, evil or bad intent or actions. By evil, I don't mean the worst of sins. Often in in American society, I think we use the word evil, we think, It's the worst of the worst. Here, it just means any violations of God's Ten Commandments. That's evil. To put it aside, to stop imbibing, practicing malice in our hearts and our actions, in our words, evil speaking. Perhaps you do this by paying attention to bad examples and what it means when people live that kind of life. Negative examples are helpful in the Christian life. Don't be like that person. And you say, well, that's, that's terrible. Why would you want to point, point someone out? Well, if it's a repentant person, they'll say, don't be like me. That's what I used to be. Don't, don't follow that path. I'm warning you. And if it's an unrepentant person, that's an even better example because you see the life is just snowballing towards misery. You see it in Hollywood. Hollywood is a very good example of that. All the Hollywood stars are just miserable people. They open their mouth. You see the misery come out. They live a life of malice, evil speaking. One way to fight against that, to put it off. He doesn't give specifics. I'm giving you some, some specifics because you see elsewhere again in the Bible some specifics. And in life, is run by concrete examples, by doing something. It's not like you just wake up one day and say, well, I'm just going to put off sin. You think of the patterns and habits of your life that reinforce that sin and avoid those patterns. Avoid the people, avoid the books, avoid the movies, avoid the temptation. Deceit and hypocrisy, those two. Obviously go together, one a broader category than the other, deceit and hypocrisy being a a specific type of deceit. Do not treat treat these sins as indifference, as as though it's a little thing to have a little bit of deceit. What do we call a little bit of deceit? White lies. We use the word white lies. White being, it's a pure, it's an okay lie, right? You're you're whitewashing lies. What we say, you're... Painting the outer side of it to make it look okay because it's so small and insignificant. But again, you know in your own life that it can add up. You get comfortable with a little bit of lie here, a little bit of lie there, and it becomes bigger and it grows. It's a common occurrence in criminals. My wife and I were watching a criminal show last night, a mystery, and they pointed out again what I've already known, uh, that when they get comfortable with stealing, they start stealing bigger things. They start becoming more emboldened because they're getting away with it. 
And then if they get caught with a large theft, they may turn to murder and assault. Because they're so comfortable with the smaller sins, they get more comfortable with the medium size and the bigger sins. It grows. The old New York, who was the old mayor um, back in the 90s, I think it was, early, yeah, Giuliani, early 2000s, one way he squashed crime is he went after petty crimes, petty thefts. He wanted them off the streets so they'd get comfortable with a life of crime. And apparently it worked until they stopped it. <laughs> so the same thing happens in the Christian life. Put off these sins, brothers and sisters. Flee them. Envy. Here, of course, envy is a reminder again is your zealous desire for something that is not your own. That's different than jealousy. Jealousy is something you already have. Jealous towards things that you own. Hopefully your wife, your husband. Uh, but envy is that which you don't have and shouldn't have. It's someone else's. And again, we're supposed to put it off. Teach each other to flee from envy and covetousness. And unfortunately, we have an entire political system that gushes to the rim with envy and covetousness. Never satisfied with what they have. Always wanting more. More, more. Give it to me now. The so-called conservatives do it through a crass form of capitalism, right? We don't want... You can get what you want, just don't get it through the government. You can be coveting all you want, envying all you want, just do it in a free market society. What? No. It's still wrong. Put on. Lay aside and put on. Now, he doesn't use the verb here, put on, but he just says... As newborn babes desire. And so he focuses on what is true for the Christian life. It starts from the inside and works its way out, doesn't it? Desire repentance. You desire God. You desire following Jesus. You desire his word. So you're desiring good things. And that's the flip side of not desiring bad things. (laughs) Putting off bad things. Laying them aside and rather putting on, as we read in Ephesians, which gives it more explicitly, Ephesians 4.24. I'll go back and read verse 22 again to remind you, that you put off, same verb as here, concerning your former conduct. And he comes on along here in verse 24, two verses later, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That you put on. Again, put on, putting on a garment. One's to put off, one's to put on. Put off wickedness, put on righteousness. Romans 13, 12, that the night is far spent, as you recall, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off or throw aside works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. It's not enough to put off clothing. You put off the clothing, what happens? You're naked. You need to put something on. You cannot have it in the middle. Morality abhors a vacuum. If you flee sin, and you don't replace that sin with righteousness, seven more sins will come in. Make it worse. Not enough to stop sinning and not sin. Rather, we have to strive towards obedience by the power of God living in us. I call it God's replacement plan. Place sin, you replace it with righteousness, with obedience. Put off sin, put on obedience. Stop lying, tell the truth. Put off hate, put on love. You already see the pattern. You know the right things. That should fulfill or fill the void of the wrong things. And again, like putting off, putting on the armor of God, a life of obedience, is a possibility in the Christian life. Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. God is not unjust. 
which you have shown in his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. He is saying you are ministering to the saints, not, well, you're not ministering enough. I can find your sin. I can nitpick it and find a problem with you. Do you do that with your children? I hope not. There may be a time for it, of course, if they're dealing with something very dangerous and important, like a gun. You're going to be very particular. But, you know, your child is taking care of the house and mowing the lawn and helping you when you're sick. You praise them for it, although they do it in a... They stumble when they do it because they're little kids. And same with God. He is, he is our Father, and our Father looks at us differently. He won't be as particular because we are adopted. He treats us differently. God treats his people differently than he treats the world. That's part of sanctification. It's a bonus. So it is possible, brothers and sisters. God's commands to Christians are not impossibilities. It may take a long time. It may take a lifetime to maybe even make it noticeable to yourself, because sometimes we're our worst critics. But it is possible. God is not taunting you here. He's encouraging you through the mouth of Peter. In fact, you obey perhaps more often than you realize it as a Christian. Do you not feed your family? Do not take care of your children? Do not clean the house? Do not love your friends? Do not go to church? That's what you're called to do. That's, that's the Christian life. But pastor, unbelievers do that. Well, let them, let, worry about them. How about you? Unbelievers don't believe in Jesus. They can do all kinds of good things. Great. That doesn't save them. You believe in Jesus. Repent of your sins. That's what brings you to heaven. And God is telling you, because of that, you have done and are doing things that I will remember. Because I, it is God working in you, both the will and to do his good pleasure, as he tells us in Philippians. So through the particular list of sins here, you have malice and evil speaking. Put it aside. Now what? You have a moral vacuum and just kind of sit there and float in the air and have empty thoughts? No, you fill your thoughts with love, truth, with goodness. If lying is a habit, memorize passages about lying to fight it. Write out the dangers of lying to fight it. Praise God and use good words instead of evil speaking. Encourage those who need encouragement. Avoid malicious people. Avoid, malicious, avoid people who put up with malicious people if need be. Replace it every day. Keep fighting against it. Replace deceit and hypocrisy with truth and silence as well. Now, what do I mean by silence? The truth part is obvious. Don't deceive, but rather be truthful. Don't be a hypocrite, but rather be uh, genuine. But silence is important, too. We tell our kids not to broadcast everything, right? Hey, everybody, guess what happened yesterday? No, you don't, you don't need to say that. Right? You don't need to speak. And so if speaking is a problem, if deception with your mouth is a problem, maybe you just need to learn not to speak. You don't, you don't need to say something all the time. And of course, if you do speak, speak the truth. <clears throat> Replace envy with contentment. This is especially hard, I think, in this day and age because we are so prosperous. We are so prosperous. Materialism that we have, material goods and the blessings that we have from God are easy to abuse and get comfortable with. We want more and more and more and not, never satisfied. <clears throat> Again, read the Word of God go to church, be with brothers and sisters who fight against that. They have differences than you do. Great. Then you can mesh. They can help you overcome your sins. You can help them overcome their sins. Sanctification is not a lone wolf proposition to walk off on your own, but it's a collective call of the Christian life. Be around one another. Be in a holy fellowship with one another. And so I will end with this 
a last reminder, a last practical application of putting off and putting on. Romans 13, 14 we read, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Make no provision for the flesh. What is in our life that we have, again, patterns where we drive, what we do, what we watch, what we read, that reinforces and encourages temptation towards the sins that we're struggling with. Right? That's what you do. You don't make provisions. Well, I'm never going to I'm never going to use it. No, it's there. It's a temptation. It's one step closer to the sin that you want to fight against. Put it away in one big provision. We perhaps forget about, we don't think about. It's people we hang out with. Are they there to help you fight sin? Or are they there to help you get closer to sin? Who do you hang out with? Who are your friends? That makes a difference. If you hang out with malicious, deceitful, envious hypocrites, is that going to help you put off the flesh and the sins therein or encourage you towards sin? Of course, it's obvious. That's why the Bible warns us again and again not to make friendship with the world. Because the world is comfortable with sin. We are not comfortable with sin. That's why we desire to be more like Jesus. And I would dare say, even hanging out with people who don't do those things, but put up with people who do those things, especially leaders in a church. Imagine a church. If our church, if your pastor here was like, hey, he's a good guy, he's not a hypocrite, he's, you know, he admits his errors, and he's okay with an officer on his session, another officer in the church who has these sins. He's like, ah, oh, you know, don't worry about it. You're supposed to be nice to the guy. It takes time. But he's so hateful. He's so angry. He talks evilly. And he speaks evil all the time. Look, don't be so harsh. You'd be like, what, how, what kind of a church is this? What's going on here? So here you have leadership putting up with other people who are doing these sins. And that feeds into your community if you're part of that church. So sometimes it's not just enough to be away from people who do those sins, but be away from people who put up with people who do those sins when they can stop it. We need positive peer pressure is another way of saying it. Peer pressure is the, is the human condition. We are, as Aristotle said, social animals. We're not animals, but we're social. He meant that in another way. And so we should not forget we need to have positive peer pressure. People who will not just morally be neutral, like I, my example of me being a morally neutral pastor is otherwise good and putting up with sin, but they need to fight against it. We need to help one another towards righteousness and say, this is good, I'm glad, let's, let's, do, the, let's do some good things today. 